I can take it. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, everyone. Um, I want to welcome you to Narrative Medicine Rounds. I'm Deep Bugatta. I'm a general internist here at Columbia Presbyterian, and I'm the course director for the Foundations of Clinical Medicine Tutorials course, and I hope some of my students are here tonight. Um, and I appreciate that this room is so full despite the amazing weather that we've had recently and tonight. Uh, I think it's a testament to the work of Will Riser and a testament to the work that we're doing here with Narrative Medicine. So I thank you for being here. Um, so it's my pleasure to introduce Will Riser, and it's our pleasure to have him here with us tonight. Will Riser's first job in TV came in 2003 when he produced the show Steve Harvey's Big Time. He went on to serve as the associate producer of the HBO series The Ali G Show. The show, disguised as goofy humor, actually served as sharp critique of the racism, sexism, and homophobia that exists in contemporary America. And I must admit, it is a personal favorite of mine. I have the shows on DVD. Um, <laughs> And in 2006, I was Borat for Halloween. <laughs> and I can do the impression for you later on, like over a couple of beers maybe. <laughs> um, so Will Reiser is best known um, as a screenwriter for the film, feature film 5050, which debuted in 2011. The film starred Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Seth Rogen, and Anna Kendrick, and chronicles the struggles of a young man in his 20s who is confronted with the diagnosis of cancer localized to his spine. The genesis of this film came in 2005 when Mr. Reiser was diagnosed with a cancer himself on his spine. And the film, which was produced by his colleagues Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, premiered at the Toronto Film Festival and the London Film Festival to glowing reviews. The film handles issues of mortality and friendship and trust with great humor um, and sensitivity and continues to be one of the best reviewed films of 2011. Please welcome me, please join me in welcoming Will Reiser. Thank you. Um, so, um, yeah, 5050 is the first movie I ever wrote and uh, the, reason, the reason why is because when it came to writing I had nothing original to say. There's nothing exceptional about any of my ideas. The, you know, the, when, I, when I was in my early 20s, the only thing I knew to write about was what it was like uh, to be single, horny, and terrified of women, <laughs> none of which was very original at the time. Um, and then at 25, I was diagnosed with cancer. I had this massive tumor in my spine. And it, it thrust me into this tornado of emotional dysfunction. I would say everyone around me lost their minds. I lost my mind. People. Uh, you know, I hadn't even received a, a second opinion, and, and people I, I barely knew were mourning my loss. <clears throat> when friends would hug me, they'd give me these long, firm embraces as though it might be the last time they'd ever see me again. You know, the moment I told someone I had cancer, they immediately thought I was going to die. And one night I was at a party with my best friend, who happened to be Seth Rogen. It was 2005, um, and we couldn't help but make fun of this heightened hysteria that surrounded, was surrounding my illness. Um, you know, we realize that in the eyes of the populace, cancer is a death sentence. And a big reason for that has to do with the way that cancer is portrayed in pop culture. And, you know, the cancer I was raised on um, wasn't in life, but in film and television. Stories that follow middle-aged misanthropes, you know, people who are completely uh, 
disconnected from, from their families who are estranged and you know, they're given this, um, you know, they're given a diagnosis of some rare form of cancer with, you know, again, against great odds and um, they somehow manage to, you know, overcome all of their, uh, you know, their curmudgeoning nature, you know, they, they reconnect with their families and they have this great moment of clarity where they, um, they understand the meaning of life and the importance of love and, and just when you, you're on their side, they die. And that's, that's cancer to me, and that's cancer to everyone I know. And so that night, at that party, Seth and I came up with the idea of showing the lighter side of cancer. It was going to be a cancer comedy. Um, our original idea was to do a parody of The Bucket List, which we were going to title The Fuck It List. <laughs> and it, at the time, we were, we were half joking, but we both believed there was a story to be told and what I was going through. And after I recovered, uh, through much encouragement by Seth and some of my other friends, I sat down and I started writing. And 50-50 became uh, my way of saying all the things I didn't know how to say while I was sick. And I, I now tell all aspiring screenwriters that the key to writing a successful script is to go out and find their own potentially life-threatening illness, which I suppose is what this class is. Um, you know, now, my intention was not to draft an autobiography and, and rehash old wounds. It, Rather, it was to write the best movie I could, and, and as a whole, I, you know, it is a work of fiction, but that said, 50-50 is tethered to my own experience. And you know, that line that I drew between fact and fiction is far less distinguishable than I, than I thought, and I even intended. You know, my, my father is what I can, for, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, the, the father character in the movie has Alzheimer's. Now, you know, my father in real life is what I can best describe as an eccentric daydreamer. He has this Einstein-like gray head of hair. He has these unkept, thick, unkept eyebrows that sort of drift off into space. They sort of, it sort of looks like a thicket of bougainvillea sort of growing on his forehead. And um, he's, you know, he is the, uh, the only person I know who can wear uh, a turtleneck, a fleece sweater, and a tweed coat, all three layers at the height of summer. I, I, have no, I have no understanding of how he can do it, but in 90 degrees, he somehow manages. And yet, despite that, my, fa my father does not have Alzheimer's. Um, but at the, 50, the premiere of 50-50 in Toronto, he spent the entire night being coddled and spoken to very deliberately and very slowly <laughs> by everyone around him because they thought that he was, in fact, mentally impaired. Um, in interviews, I've uh, disappointed countless journalists by revealing the sad truth that, uh, unfortunately, no, Seth and I did not use uh, my cancer to hit on women or to pick women up, pick up women. Um, in, in truth, I think we were we were just too scared. Um, but but you know the best we could ever come up with was using my cancer to cut the line on opening day of Batman Begins. Um, while others had to wait in line in the in the hot sun for two hours, we got first dibs on seats, which I suppose for us was the, the equivalent of getting laid. Um, and and then. There, you know, and, and uh, I, for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, there's a sort of a, a, sort of a brew, uh, brewing relationship between the therapist and the main character, Adam. And in real life, I did not fall in love with my therapist. In reality, she's 60 years old, and I have not spoken to her since the movie come, came out. I have not heard from her, and I'm mortified to know what she thinks of her. Um, and then there, there were those events that, that happened in real life, but they were too absurd to put in the movie, and ended up, ended up getting cut. Um, the morning of my surgery, uh, as I was laying on the gurney, about to go, about to go into the operating room, I was about to get anesthetic to put me under, uh, anesthesia to put me under. The nurse brought in some forms for me to sign, one of which was 
uh, granting them per, uh, was permission for the doctors to fuse my spine if necessary. Now, this was the first I had heard of the idea of fusing my spine, and I had no idea what the implications would mean, so I asked if I could speak with the doctor, and the nurse said, well, it's too late, he's gone into the operating room. If you want to talk to him, you're going to have to cancel the surgery. Now, Jesus, like, I'm like, I have cancer, my life is hanging in the balance, I'm about to go in for surgery, like, I don't want to cancel the surgery, so I looked at the nurse and I said, but Dr. Cooper is a good doctor, right? He knows what he's doing. And she said, well, that was, that was her response. And then she followed that with, he's not very nice. I don't care. He's going to save my life. That's all I cared about. Um, I did go through with the surgery, um, despite that vote of confidence. Um, and uh, and uh, a few days after, afterwards, um, Seth came and visited me. And I, and I was in pretty rough shape. And I could tell how bad I was by the expression on his face. The look of horror, I have only seen that look one other time, and that was after he saw, uh, after his first viewing of Zack and Miri make a porno. And, and I, knew, I knew at that moment that I really was not in good shape. Um, but he, he tried to be a good sport, and he, you know, he leaned over, and he, he feigned a smile, and he was just, you look really, uh, you look really good. You look good, man. And as he did that, I felt, I was really high on morphine, so it, um, I, uh, you know, I was high on morphine, but I felt this weird sensation. I felt it was almost like a tugging. And, and Seth took a step backwards, and he looked down, and he realized that he was so nervous that he was tapping a jar of the jar of urine attached to my catheter with his foot, and thus he was tugging on my urethra. Um, that didn't make it into the movie. Um, and the the one aspect of the film. Um, that I would say depicts my real life, that closest depicts my real life is the relationship between the mother and the son. Um, the relationship between Adam, the main character, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Diane, played by Angelica Houston. And, uh, you know, I'll say I love my mother, but just as Diane does to Adam in the movie, my mother just drove me batshit crazy. I mean, she just drove me completely insane. And as a result, I mean, actually, I would say that, like, I remember having flashes of headlines in my, in my head that would say, cancer survivor smothered to death by mother. Um, and so as a result, I pushed her away. Uh, and at the time, I, I had little perspective to understand what it must have felt like, you know, for, for, to, to bear that kind of rejection. You know, I mean, it would, it would have been hard for anyone, let, a, let alone a mother helplessly watching her son suffer from afar. And so while we were making 50-50, I could sense my mother silently fearing I portrayed her as that unbearable mother. And I think in her mind, not only did her son rebuff her, millions of people were now going to write her off as annoying and incapable. Um, so I avoided showing her the film for as long as possible. But the day finally came when it was the time to, when it was the premiere, and it was the Toronto Film Festival, and I couldn't keep it from her any longer. And I sat next to her, more concerned with her reaction than the actual audiences. And uh, during the dinner scene in which Adam is telling his mother that he has cancer. Diane responds by, to the news by saying, I'm, I'm moving in, which gets the biggest laugh, one of the biggest laughs in the movie. And then Adam responds by, by uh, rejecting her offer, and Diane proceeds to have an emotional breakdown. At that point, my mother leaned over and said, is this the worst of it? <laughs> and she sat silently for the next 40 minutes until the moment right before Adam goes in for his surgery, when she grabbed hold of my hand and I looked over and I could see tears streaming down her face. And I had no way of knowing if these were tears of an affected audience member or these were tears of embarrassment. 
And my answer came moments later, uh, during the final scene, as Adam's best friend, played by Seth, is dressing the wound on Adam's back. And my mother once again leaned over, but this time with a smirk on her face, and she quipped, why isn't Adam wearing his back brace? <laughs> there was this glow about her afterwards. She had been liberated. No longer was she carrying the weight of my rejection. She felt acceptance, and not just from me, but from the 1,200 people in that theater. And just as I had done while writing the script, my mother couldn't help but unconsciously blur that line between fact and fiction. At the after party, she ran up to Joseph Gordon-Levitt and kissed him on the cheek and said, I'm your mother, Adam. <laughs> she now leaves me messages with reviews of other movies comparing them to 50-50. Just the other day, I got one saying, just saw Argo, not as good as 50-50. <laughs> But it's, it's terrifying putting yourself out there in front of millions of people, especially when someone else is telling your story. And it's, you know, it's to be vulnerable and completely naked, judged and critiqued with your flaws and dysfunctions on full display. But if there's anything I've learned since the film's released, it's that we're all dysfunctional, we're all imperfections. And to me, 50-50 is a celebration of those flaws. Thanks. Well, thank you for that. Um, so what we'll do now for a few minutes is just do some question and answer up here as a conversation, and then I want to open up uh, the conversation to you all so you can ask some questions to Will as well. So Will, when you were writing the, the, the screenplay for this, your previous experience was working with Dolly G Show and, mm -hmm. um, and pretty strict comedy and starting to write about your own personal experiences seems like it would be a tremendous risk. Um, how did you decide to, to make that transition and that decision to write about something so personal? Um, you know, I, I, I would say that it was really something I couldn't avoid. I think that, um, Really, writing the script became an outlet for me. Even, even while I was sick and I was undergoing treatment, I would have visions of scenes for this movie. And I, you know, it was the only, I think I, I it, was, it was just such an absurd experience and, a, and a, such a strange time for me. And I, I didn't have the tools when I was 25 to talk about it with other people. Thinking about this movie and projecting everything I was feeling into this script was really the, the only way I knew how to deal with it. I, I don't, I didn't, in retrospect, that's what I was doing. But at the time, I just would have these funny ideas, and I would just have these visions and these scenes in my head, and, um, and I would talk about it sort of almost obsessively to the people around me. And once I got better, they were like, yeah, you, you've got to write this movie. Like, just like, shut up. Like, stop talking about it and actually write it. And uh, so I did. So one of the experiences you were having as you were experiencing the process of being ill you were thinking about writing? Yeah, I you were going through it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say that uh, it was really, it was really my, my form of escape mm -hmm. from the stress. And during that time, were you actually journaling about your experience, or were you thinking about it in the frame of something that was going to be eventually fictionalized? I, I was thinking of it purely as fiction. Um, I didn't, I didn't keep a journal. Um, I didn't think about this. I did not. I didn't think about 50/50 in terms of me and it being a portrayal of me 
Um, I thought of it more as just the story of a young guy who's going through a very similar situation as me. And, yeah. um, and I just drew from my own experience to, to create this world. And, um, and more and more as you know, events just kept unfolding, it just became more fodder for, you know, for the actual script. And, um, but I, I, didn't, I didn't think at first that it would be so closely tied to my experience. And, and you mentioned that there clearly are parts that are very personal and, and uh, parts that are quite fictionalized. Mm -hmm. How did those distinctions come to be? What parts ended up becoming fictionalized and why? And what parts stayed true to your own personal experience? I mean, it, it ultimately comes down to what, what's the best story, what's, uh, what's going to make the best movie. And um, those stories that, you know, that I told about the nurse and about Seth kicking, I mean, the catheter, Seth kicking a jar of urine, I mean, we shot that. But it was so weird. It just didn't make any sense. And we had to cut it. And the, the scene with the nurse was, that was in the first draft I handed in. And um, Seth and, and, and his, my, our other friend Evan, who's his writing partner, they produced the movie. When they read it, they, they were like, it's really funny, but we don't understand what, you know, it, it just sort of, that moment felt so out of place. Um, that I had, I had to cut it from the script. So ultimately, you know, there were there were things that were happening in my real life, but they were just too absurd. And um, and then the, the fiction, um, you know, I, I would say, uh, you know, it's just you, you create this world, you create the, you know, you create these characters. It's just they, at a certain point, they take over. You know, as a writer, they start telling me um, where the story is going to go. Yeah. And, uh, I just, I just. <clears throat> It's almost as if I had just spent, you know, I was almost like I was a journalist embedded for a year, you know, in this experience, and now I just had all this knowledge and all these facts, and I could just utilize them as best as possible in the script. Yeah. What insights are gained through fictionalizing the experience as opposed to having written a memoir of your illness? Um, well, I mean, I... <clears throat> I really, I, I mean, for me personally, I mean, there's nothing exceptional about me or my story. I mean, there's, you know, millions of people who experience things, you know, who go through far greater experiences. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, experiences that are um, far, far more severe, I should say. Yeah. You know, uh, I, you know, I would never want to think that, you know, there was uh, anything particularly different about what I went through. Mm -hmm. And so I, my, my intention was never really to to make it about Yeah. So when you see the film now, does it seem like someone else's story, or does yes. it seem, it, yeah. does it feel like your story? It's, it feels, it's, it's like, it feels like Adam's story. It feels very much like it's Joseph Gordon Lennon's character. And I, and I really appreciate that, and I think that that has a lot to do, um, A, with his performance. And yeah. I just think he gives an amazing performance, and I, and I <clears throat> um, but I can relate. I can relate to him, and I can relate to that character. But um, I will say that, you know, when we were making the movie, we, we told Joe uh, not, to, not to think of it as doing an impersonation, to make the character his own, to do, do it his own way. And yet afterwards, I mean, dozens of friends and family members came up to me and still come up to me and tell me how he really nailed, you know, all of my mannerisms and how it's this incredible, you know, depiction of me when, in fact, that wasn't the intention. 
It's very interesting. One of the things we talk about in narrative medicine is the, the text as a way to understand another's illness experience. And I would imagine that Joseph Gordon-Levitt had a certain insight into what you had experienced by playing that role. Yeah. Or, or, was, or is that the case? That he, I mean, you know, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because he, I, I don't, I, he was really learning as we went along the same way that a cancer patient learns as you go along. And, and I think that that really, that wasn't necessarily, he, he only had one week to prepare for the role. He was a last minute replacement right? for another actor. Yeah. And um, so he came on very late and he was really thrust into the project and he had to learn as, as we went and we would talk about it. But I think that not having a lot of time for him to prepare really helped him, you know, just live in that state of really not quite knowing how, uh, what, what to anticipate next. And, yeah. Um, so I, I think that you know his his uh, his arc in, in playing that role, you know, very much uh, is very similar to just just learning, you know, not only learning the character but learning what it's like. So I, I think it did give him great insight, but um, mm. but I don't know, you know, I don't know if he if he now feels like he. It's an interesting question I'll have to ask him. Yeah. If he now feels like he's actually gone through the experience. Yeah. What What do you think? It, is possible in this movie in terms of exploring the topics because it is a comedy as opposed to a strict drama. What 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 does the the comedic format allow uh, to be explored here that is different? Yeah, why? Well, you know, I mean, I'm afraid. Of, you know, my favorite movies are the ones that make you laugh and make you cry, mm -hmm. and I think it's. Um, I think it's a lot, and I don't want to undermine drama as a genre. I think there are a lot of amazing genres that come out every year, and some of my favorite movies. But I think when you can, for me, there's no greater challenge than trying to get an audience to laugh and cry, you know, within 10 minutes. You know, mo having moments within 10 minutes of one another in which you laugh hysterically and then you cry hysterically. And, and I think that that's human nature, and that's the human spirit, and that's life. You know, you go through these moments, and we're affected by it, and it's a roller coaster. And um, so I think that um, I, I just, for me, that's life, and that's, and yeah. that's you know, those are those are the stories that I want to tell. And, um, I don't know, you know, some someone might you know feel completely different. You know, yeah. the comedy undermines the drama, and, it, and but but for me, that's you know, that's the only way. This is the way I prefer to tell stories. Yeah. And, and when you uh, began writing this, do you feel that you learned about yourself through the writing? Or are these Certainly. insights that you already yeah. had about yourself? No, 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 I was, no, I did not. I definitely did not. I have, I have learned a great deal. Um, and not only about myself, but I think in, you know, in making the movie, I mean, it forced Seth and I to have a lot of conversations about our friendship that, you know, we wouldn't have had, and yeah. um, conversations with my family that I wouldn't have had, and um, and I and I and I and I think it, it forced everyone in my life to be a little bit braver, just about mm -hmm. just dealing with illness and how we talk about it. Mm -hmm. and, um, I mean, I ate greatly; it had a great effect, and I think it still does. Yeah, but but it really ultimately helped me process what was you know the most you know difficult situation. 
Yeah. It was really what helped me get past it, you know, emotionally. Yeah. You know, some people characterize this movie as a, as a bromance, I think. Um, but I think it's, it's interesting to think I like about. to think of it as a dick flick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that works too. That's beautiful. I was, I was told that her family was encouraged, so I definitely encouraged. Thanks, Scott, for that. Um, but I think one of the, the central themes in this movie, and some of, one of the most beautiful things that develop, is the, the friendship and the evolution of the relationship between Adam and Kyle. And, uh, and I wanted to ask you, do you think there's something um, unique about the experience of young men going through illness that is different than older people or women? Um, yeah, well, I think I think that most movies about illness are about women, and um, I think I think that it's also it's hard for for young people to be honest and open about you know uh, matters of, uh, such as these. I, I yeah. think that um, I think it, it you know or it feels like everything's reduced to you know an after school special or an episode of Beverly Hills 902. You know what I mean? It's like I, I think that, and, and I think that's why, I mean, having having Seth as a partner in this movie was so important because I think it really. I mean, we when we went on a press, he and I went on a went on a, a four week press tour all across the country, and I mean, we were down in Atlanta with you know inter, being interviewed by you know morning you know DJs, disc jockeys who you know just big you know you know big burly men. You know, who just you know did not seem to have any you know seem to have lack any sensitivity, and then you shake their hand and they look you in the eyes and they just tell you it's like that movie broke, you know. <laughs> and to have Seth, to have Seth there because mm -hmm. Seth, what Seth stands for, and what people when people think of Seth as an actor, they think of a guy who makes really crude movies and you know his characters you know are, are I mean his his sensibility speaks to a much broader base. And I think that um, you don't think about you don't think about Seth Rogen's sensitivity, and I think it, it helped. It, I think it helped a lot, especially a lot of men. I think it helped a lot of men feel a lot more comfortable about what they were feeling while watching the movie. Yeah. Because we had Seth there in that role, playing you know your average best friend who doesn't know what to do and just acts like an idiot, but ultimately end is there. For, you know what I mean? And that's yeah. how most guys handle it. They don't know what to do, and they just. You know, they just sort of stand around and make jokes and, you know, and, and try to do the best they can. But, you know, and, and I think it's hard. And I, so I think that, um, I don't actually remember what the question was. I'm sure you can answer that though. Great. So, one of the concepts that we explore in narrative medicine um, is thinking about what it means to witness someone else's suffering. And this is something that Seth's character certainly does. Is witness witnesses the, the suffering of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's illness. Um, what lessons do you think it offers us as uh, people who will, who will care for our friends and family's illness, as well as future clinicians who care for our patients' illness? What what lessons does it teach us about what it means to witness someone else's suffering? Well, I I think for me something you know. And I'll say, you know, since this movie came out, I have heard, I've met, you know, I, I'd say I've met, I've met thousands of cancer patients, and I, and I have now relationships with several patients, you know, I'm like sort of an email correspondence, and 
And at first, I mean, it still is really overwhelming, and it gets intense when I hear from people, um, because I don't know how to respond. And, and I am now in the position that Seth was in, that every person you know, around me was in when I was sick, is how do you respond? What's the right thing to say? And there's a moment when I get an email, and it's really intense, and I just go, fuck, like, I can't, I don't know what to say to this person. And it takes me a few days to, and I'll think about, like, what do I say? And, and I, and I real, and that's the exact same position everyone else was in when I was sick. And what I've realized, and you know, through making the movie and through you know my relationship with Seth, is that there's really no right way to respond. And the important thing is that you just are there for the person. You know, it's I don't remember anything that anybody. I don't remember anything anybody said to me. I don't remember any of the gifts people gave me. I don't remember anything. I just remember who wasn't there. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember who 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 was. Who sort of, I mean, friends that just kind of ditched me. Yeah. And and that's what I remember. And um, and that's that's really hard. And that's really, you know, and I, and people, not everyone can deal with it. And when confronted with illness, people get really scared. And I think they get scared about saying the wrong thing or you know, insulting the person or making it worse. And you're not going to make it worse. I and mean, the person has cancer. You can't make their cancer worse. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest lesson. Yeah. Certainly this movie is about a personal journey and uh, appreciating one's own mortality, about friendship and trust, but it's also about healthcare. Um, as a patient going through cancer and as a screenwriter writing this film, um, you're, in the, you're at Columbia University Medical Center, we're physicians and clinicians here. Um, what message do you have for us about your experience in healthcare and uh, the care you received and, and what you're writing about. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it's. I, mean, I will say for me, when I was going through it, it was terrifying, and I I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know how to ask questions about it. And doctors would just tell me things, and they would just speak at me, and I often felt really, I felt really disconnected from the entire, you know, I, maybe I felt disconnected from myself, I felt disconnected from the situation, and I almost felt like I was just sort of floating, I was just sort of existing, and I just sort of, you know, I just, um, I was just sort of in this weird, abstract state, and I remember feeling a lot like doctors couldn't look at me like a human. I felt a lot like I was being treated with, like an object, like a car. Like I was going to see a mechanic and I was going to get a change. And I felt it was really cold. It was very austere. And, and that was really hard. And, I, and, I, and it's hard because I think the doctors are put in a, in a really difficult position because you, I think you don't want to, you know, the, the closer you become with your patient, the more emotionally invested you are, the, the more your judgment gets, you know, um, can be altered because of your physical feelings, because of your emotional state. So I think it's hard, I think it's a hard line to draw. But I do think that and what I saw was that there was a lack of communication where doctors just assume that patients are understanding and comprehending everything they're saying. Because, I mean, you, I mean, when you speak to a patient, I'm using you as an example. I'm not, I'm not using you as a, you know, I'm not, I'm not um, this is not uh, attack you, but, you know, I, you know, when I see a doctor, I don't understand half of what they're saying. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's important to really, to, 
be conscious of the fact that you know people are terrified and they, they don't know. And there's a lot that they don't understand about the human body and the way the body works and the science of healthcare. And and then I think it's really I just think that opening those lines of communication are important. And I don't really have you know I don't yeah. have answers, but uh, um, you know that's not my job. Yeah, but I, but, but I think those those comments um, are important. Yeah, um, and it also seemed that even in the film that language and the lack of connection and speaking separate languages comes up as a theme, even in the name of the, the tumor that the patient has, no one can pronounce it, no one knows what it's called, um, and that I think speaks to some of that uh, disconnection in the languages spoken between those two cultures, the medical culture and, and those who are not in it. Um, I mean, it's, you know, I remember one of my doctors was just so fascinated with my tumor and just went off on this 10 minute just diatribe just about how like incredible it was. And I thought, this thing might kill me, like, you know, like, um, and, I, and I, you know, because he, he wasn't, he was really thinking about it from the point of view as someone who was really interested in understanding the science behind this. And, yeah. Yeah, and um, he was less interested in understanding how I felt and how I was interpreting it. And, and that was, you know, that, that was really, that was a really eye-opening moment for me, and that was that's what inspired the scene between the diagnosis scene when Adam is, you know, is being given the news that he has cancer. The doctor is, is speaking in this way, which is really cold, and um, it makes no sense to you know to sort of like, to a normal person. You know, nothing he says, you know, it sounds, it sounds like total nonsense. It's yeah. And when you were when, when you were up there earlier, you you said you asked. Um, was, was the doctor a good doctor? Um, what information did you want that would convey to you that this is a good doctor? What, what did you mean by that question? Um, what would the, what would have the right hand? I think she should have, honestly, the moment should have been, she would have, should have put her hand on she would have, he's the best doctor. <laughs> <laughs> right. There is no doctor better than doctor, like there is nobody in the state of California that's more likely to say, you know what I mean? Yeah. Wanted some reassurance. Yeah. So you want, wanted to trust whatever she felt was a good doctor. And you she could have told her anything. It didn't. Yeah. Wouldn't have happened. I mean, I was about to go. I, you know. Right. So Sounds. that would have been. I guess that would have been nice. But, yeah. But it makes for a better story. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you spent a lot of time around um, physicians during your own personal illness. Um, what do you think the parallels are between uh, being a writer? And being someone who cares for others, physician, let's say. Um, well, you know, you know, for me, you know, my, my characters are the most important part of the script. I think that the script starts. Yeah, you know, I might have an idea for the film, but really, ultimately, they're what drives it. They're, they're, the characters are who I spend all you know I spend my time with. They're, they're 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 telling me how the story's going to unfold, and um, you know, so I'm I'm in this world. I'm with these people who have these problems, and you know, and, and, and they're they're telling me and expressing to me what's going on. And I I, I you know I, I could see the same being very similar parallel with, with doctors, and you know, spending every day with you know these patients and these people who come into your life, and um, and they you know have a great effect on you know your how you function day to day. Disconnected from my characters, you know, I, I'll feel a little lost. I'll feel blocked. I, mean, I think 
you're a doctor and you are seeing, you know, see patient after patient and you're not you're not connecting with them and it's, you know and you feel I mean I could I mean that's one one parallel I can see definitely. Thank you. Um, I wanted to open up uh, the questions to the audience to give you guys a chance to to speak to Will. Humor, using humor, um, you know, in telling such a, a serious story. There's one person I remember in particular where there was a screaming at MoMA, and I did a Q&A afterwards. And this old woman, she was probably 75, and she had these, these like round gla glasses like this, and this old Jewish woman. She just came up to me after, and she goes, "I don't get it. It's not funny. Why was everybody laughing? He has cancer. This is horrible. Why was people laughing?" And I was the only. That was the only, oh no, one other, one other woman came up to me, I was at a friend's bar mitzvah, my friend's daughter's bar, bat mitzvah. This was not, I was not expecting to talk about the movie. This woman came up, she goes, so you wrote 50-50, and I went, yes, I wrote it. She goes, well, you know what? She said, I lost a week of my life because of you. It reminded me of how hard it was. I spent four years overcoming the death of my mother, and I had to lock myself in the bathroom for a week because of your mother. That was what she said to me. Wow. So those two women, other than that, right. you know, you know. <laughs> Other questions? I'm just wondering, how much involvement did you have in the actual creation of the film after you wrote it, to make sure that it didn't get, or didn't stray too far from how you envisioned it? The question is, how much involvement will, did Will have with the creation of the film, and how uh, true was it to his original vision? Uh, well, I, I produced it, so I I was involved the whole the whole way through, and, and the um, you know Seth and uh, Evan Goldberg, his writing partner, uh, they produced it with me, and so I, I had I had one quarter say in the film uh, with the other three producers, um, which uh, which was great. I wouldn't have wanted to do it any other way. And it was really important to me that we. You know, we do it. We do it ourselves. We do it independently. We went to an independent studio and we made it for, you know, that the average studio comedy is you know twenty-five to forty million dollars, and we made it for eight million dollars. Mm -hmm. But by doing that, we had we had full creative control. And that that was really important. Great. Other questions? Yeah. was, did fictionalizing the story prevent Will from facing his own mortality? Um, no, because I, I, I faced it. Uh, writing was really just my way of, of expressing that, um, what it felt like. And, and, um, because I, I, I think 
I mean, it really just was a tool. It really, you know, it, it became the equivalent of having a journal. And, um, but I, I do think it, it, did, it did ultimately force me to confront it, just maybe in an unorthodox way, but it, it, it definitely did. Other questions? Yes, Congratulations, I thought it was a terrific. Oh, thank you. Great job. One of the things I found particularly touching was the way that Adam bonded with some of the other cancer patients during his treatment. And uh, I wondered if that was something that you experienced as well, if that helped you going through it, or if that was completely fictional. That, that was fictional. Um, but I did have, um, at the time I was working on a show and one of the writers was this um, uh, on the show was a was a comic who had he had had thyroid cancer and um, he was a total mis I mean he just was you know I mean he he uh, he was and I based the character of Alan on Alan is um, uh, the one of the the old men and uh, um, I uh, I based that character on him but it was. And that, you know, it was really, so those scenes were inspired by my conversations with Alan and, you know, his perspective on life and, um, uh, the, Alan being the Philip Baker Hall character. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it was inspired by, um, someone that, those characters were born out of, of people I knew, but, but I didn't have a really, I didn't, you know, have a relationship with, um, uh, I didn't hang out, have guys in the hospital I hung out with, um, that that you know, if anything, I I really just was a very I felt very isolated when I would go to the hospital. It was you know there were I was typically the only person there under the age of fifty, and um, it was it was a very bizarre uh, experience to be in the basement of this hospital and there's no one my age and um, and I, that was really what I was trying to show with those two men was just how how foreign it is for a, you know someone so young to be in that situation. Yeah. Other questions? Um, I have some other questions here from uh, some of our other audience members. Um, tell us a little bit about writing a screenplay. How is it different from writing a linear narrative, and does it change once other people get involved? Um, just repeat the full. <laughs> the questions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about writing a screenplay. How is it different than writing a linear narrative, and once other people get involved, does it change? Um, well, I would say, I mean, I'll start with the, the last question first. It, I mean, it does change. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, a, a, a film, up until the moment you are, d are done editing it, is constantly changing. Um, you know, I, I feel like the, you know, the art of making a film it happens, you make, when you make a film, you really make it three times. The script mm -hmm. is the first time, you shoot it, the, is the shooting is the second time, and then editing it is the third time. And, you know, in each iteration, it can change drastically. And because taking a movie from the, from the page to the screen exposes so many flaws, I mean, so many holes that you, you didn't know were there. The actors bring so much, so much uh, to the table. And you, you, start, you start really seeing, you know, when you start seeing it come to life, you start realizing that maybe the dialogue will work, or maybe we need more out of the scene. So for me, you know, when we were making a movie, I was on set every day working with the and, and writing it and writing alternate scenes because you, you really, all, until you get to the editing room, you don't know what you have. You just hope that you have it. You don't, you don't know. Um, so it, 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 is, it, is, it, is a, it is a living being. It is, it is, it is constantly evolving. 
uh, and up until up until you you know are done editing, it's you know, it's, it's constantly changing. And for you, was it necessary that you were working with friends on this project? Could you have done it with, without having that personal connection with your collaborators? No, and I would say that I've now made movies without friends, and I much prefer making them with friends. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, filmmaking is an art, and, um, you know, when, when it's, you know, making films really, it's when art and commerce meet, and my biggest struggles as a writer and a filmmaker have come when I butt heads with studios because they're interested in they're more interested in making money and making sure people come to the theater as opposed to telling an honest story. And I, and I, when I make, when I work with Seth and Evan, um, I mean, I feel protected by them. I feel like I have, um, I have almost this creative bubble. I have this bubble, this enclosure, this safety net where I can tell the story I want to tell, and they can be this buffer between me and any studio executives who might. And, and that's obviously I'm precious about my writing. I mean, I think you know you you, you know you have to tell the best story possible. It's got to change, and you have to have an open mind, and you can't let your ego get in the way. But at the same time, I mean, there's a reason there's a lot of bad movies, and it's because studios are really much more focused on um, are much more focused on you know getting people in theaters. Yeah. And when writing uh, the screenplay, did you read others' illness narratives? Um, and if so, did that impact what you ended up writing? Um, it's a good question. I mean, I read it. You know, I, I, I did read a, a fair amount of Susan Sontag. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, some, I, I definitely read dark pieces, um, but I, I don't, I don't know how much of an influence. I think sometimes. I would just watch films about illness just to see the way those stories were told, to find holes, to find flaws, to be inspired. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know that I, I read a ton. I, I don't know. I, it's, it's I mean, I guess I, I talked to people, but I really just kind of was drawing from my own, my own memories. Yeah. Any advice to some of our graduate students who are writing similar illness narratives about uh, the process of, of, of doing this? Any lessons you can give them? Um, I think honesty. You know, even if, you know, even when writing a movie that's funny, like Fifty Fifty, I think making sure that, you know, as you said, that you know, when you made, when you you joked about your cancer, it came from an honest place, mm -hmm. and. Um, and I think that you know when I, if I you know when I ran or I watched movies that were about illness and you know the, the thing that I would always take away is well, does this feel honest? Does this feel real? And that was that was our main objective in making movies, making sure that people could relate and connect to it. And I think that that's um, uh, I, I would say that that's most important. Yeah. And and any um, films that deal with illness that were particularly inspiring to you when you were embarking on this project. Um, yeah, uh, I, I did go back, actually I did, I, now you're, you're reminding me, I did watch um, a lot of movies about cancer, and I feel like I went back, and there's a great movie, Canadian movie, The Barbarian Invasions, um, 
and that's that's about cancer. It's not just I mean it's about health care. It's about it's about a lot of things. It's a great movie and it's funny and it's sad and it's quite funny. Um, there's a movie, an old, a great French movie uh, from the late 50s called Cleo from Five to Seven, which is about a woman, and it's the two-hour window from when she finds she's going to find out whether or not she has cancer. Um, in terms of endearment, yeah. um, and God, uh, what else? Uh, I'm blanking. I can't think of any other right now. But they're out there. Yeah. Other questions? Yeah. Dr. Pearson. Uh, I've been in professional medicine here in Columbia for about 100 years. One of the things about narrative medicine, which is absolutely magical to me, is comes from the fact that a great many magnificent physicians, and I'm going back to 300 years, uh, were physicians who thought that they needed to speak to people who were patients and to other people and to younger physicians who were being trained to be physicians. It happens. I don't know whether it's an accident. We just got something to do with it. Five of our medical faculty here are in science times. You know about science times? New York Times, newspaper, and it has this every Tuesday, wonderful thing, where they do a whole lot of things. But science times has captured Just um, 
just reveal what it is that is going on in, you know, in my mind and in my heart and, and just, you know, and just relay that to the world. And I, and I, I don't think about any other target audience other than myself, do I approve of this? Is this the story I want to tell? Is this the kind of movie I want to see? And, um, and just, I just hope that people will connect with it. And, and I, and I, and I, cause I feel like if I try to write a movie that is for a specific audience, if that audience doesn't like it, then I fail. But if I write a movie that I like and that I connect with, and I'm, you know, then I, then I've, I have accomplished my goal. If other people don't like it, then you know, that's their problem. But I, then I feel, I feel like I've, I've done, I've done my job. I've done, you know, what I, what I set out to do. So there's two things that were said um, in the past 20 minutes that I want to come back. One was the question about did writing this film distance you from your own experience? And then the other is you're saying, well, that you were abstracted from mm -hmm. your own experience, that you were treated like an object, but that you were abstracted mm -hmm. from your experience. And it's occurred to many of us that representing a complicated experience is indeed a way of undergoing it. And I wonder if that makes sense to you. That, that, that by virtue of having written it, fictionalized, cinematized, by virtue of having represented it, that indeed you underwent it. Yeah, I think that's right. I think uh, I was abstracted from the experience, and, and writing and making movies what brought me back to it. I think that uh, when I was sick in 2005, we made the movie in 2010. Five years went by where my illness existed more as a movie than it did um, something, as actually a personal experience. And having to go through the act of making the movie and talking about it and breaking it down and, um, and really um, understanding fully what's going on with this character. I mean, it really, ultimate, it's almost like I went, I made a full circle and yeah. I came and I, um, and I think that's right. And I, and I think I mean, coming and doing something like this helps me better connect with that experience. You know, writing the essay that I said, you know, I mean, I, I think that these are, you know, the movie really kind of um, was very, was a very important tool in, in, in helping me um, process and understand and, and, um, and I guess in a way make me Complete the pro complete that process, yeah. and and, um, and you when you are sick, you feel so disconnected from your body, and you feel so alienated from everyone around you um, that you don't feel whole as a person, and and it's you, because you just feel like you don't have ownership over your body, and I suppose making the movie was a way of me really um, taking that back. Conversations with Seth and Evan about what was going on with the character and the, uh, the people around him. Uh, that that was 
those were the first moments when I realized it. And then, when it came time to show the movie to my family, that really brought up, at first it was my sister, and, um, who, I mean, I, I left out of the movie, um, because I, you know, really, I was just trying to spare her. Um, and, and she was the first person to really start having conversations with me about who I was during that time. Because we had a horrible relationship when I was sick, because I, I didn't just push my mom away, I pushed her away. Um, and, you know, and I, and I, and talking to her about what it was like for her and what it was like for me, and just having a really honest discourse about it. And, and I, I mean, you know, I could have just been sick, gotten better, and then, you know, lived my life, and, you know, six, you know, when I'm 60 years old, we could have been sitting there, we could have, you know, it could have taken 40 years to have that conversation. I mean, we might not have ever had that conversation, but I, so I think that, um, I just think it was just it was just little steps along the way. I, I, I couldn't pinpoint when when it happened, but it it all um, it, it really just sort of accumulated over time, where I, I really got to see a much clearer picture of um, who I was and who the people around me were, and, and what uh, what I, what it was that I actually went through. And I actually I mean I still think it's weird. You know I still look back. Um, I mean, you're a cancer survivor, I don't know, do you look back and you go, like, did I really go through that? Like, I mean, it's really, it's a strange thing, I mean, you know, when people come up to me and they, you know, they, you know, when I, we would, you know, we were on this press tour, I mean, the thing people would always say is they would always, you know, just congratulate me, you know, for surviving, and I would just think, well, but, you know, that's what everyone's doing all the time is we're surviving, you know, I mean, you, you, sur you live a day, you've survived, I mean, who God knows, anything could happen to any person at any moment, so, I mean, you know, our, you know, the weather outside—it's crazy. So, um, what, I mean, it's very—it's very strange to feel, you know, special in a moment. You know, like I, I, you know, like I. It's very strange to think that I went through that. I, I do. It does sometimes feel like this. Um, it does feel foreign to me sometimes. But, but it other, you know, but it—it's uh, a process. Of, you know. Time for one more question. I've had to go out and get other illnesses. Yeah. <laughs> it's a process. Um, no, uh, I no. It, it's actually it's a really great question because I um, after I wrote this script, I then got hired by uh, Universal to write to adapt a um, a documentary for them uh, about uh, this documentary called Young at Heart, uh, which is about a, a chorus of old people. And as I started writing it. I really did not feel the connection with the characters that I had when I was writing 50-50. And I realized at that moment that in order for me to write the way I wanted to write, I needed to know, I needed to, to be able to think exactly the same way my character. And that was, that was the moment I realized that I needed to know as much as I knew, what, you know, as much as I knew about cancer, I needed to know the same thing. I needed to be as much of an expert about everything I write. So, so I'm writing a movie right now that's, um, about a, a grandson and a grandmother who go to Jamaica, and the grandmother has Alzheimer's. I mean, the grandmother has Alzheimer's, and um, it's based on a, a, a it's based on a vacation I took with my grandmother when I was 13, where it was just she and I, and the travel agent screwed up and booked us at a couples resort. <laughs> it was, it was, that was awkward, and then I found out my grandmother had Alzheimer's, and 
and I, I lost her for a day. It was really this traumatic experience. And I, and even though I was 13 at the time, I, I don't remember what it was like. So, so the things I did to really get in the heads of all the characters, I, I've been spending afternoons at an assisted living facility for people with Alzheimer's. Oh. There's these Jamaican characters, so I have been spending time out in Crown Heights, which is the largest <laughs> population of Jamaicans in, uh, in this country, and, and hanging out with Jamaican characters, Jamaican uh, people from people from Jamaica, and you know I spend time um, at my friend's uh, summer camp this summer with kids who are the exact same age I was, and, and so doing things like that are really important to me at this point, and a really important part of my process um, because I want to, I want, I want. Everything to feel as authentic as 50-50. I don't. I, I can't. I don't want the first movie I made to be the only good movie. So, I, so I, that's a good. That's a good question. Wow. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for being here uh, well, thanks, and for making 50-50. It. It's an important film and it's instructive to us on so many levels. Um, and you're always welcome to come back here and join oh, us. Um, and if you have not had a chance to see it, it's a phenomenal film and it's moving. And it is one of those films that makes you laugh and cry. Um, and we have copies in the back for folks who want to purchase it. Um, and thank you, Will, for being here. Thank you. Thank you.